Moncrief on News Talk. Stuff that changed the world. The mobile phone. The internet changed the world. Penicillin, I would have thought. I would say sanitation. It changes everything. Simon Tierney is uh, with us once again. Good afternoon, Simon. Afternoon, Sean. And as usual, I would have assumed if you'd said the boot, I would have said maybe 17th century, something like that, European. But no, it's seriously ancient, the boot. It is very ancient. In fact, it's the most ancient of our footwear. Um, It predates the shoe. Which ah, is quite the claim to fame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the earliest ever reference documentary evidence that we have of um, a boot or indeed a shoe comes from the Altamira Caves in Spain, which is this renowned repository mm. of prehistoric cave art in charcoal and various other um, pigments. But um, that is uh, the, it's a boot, it's not a shoe. Um, are, are we, are, is there a, a, a really firm definition of what's the, I know there's a common sense difference, but the, the mm. difference between a, a shoe and a boot? No, it's a grey area, let's yeah. be honest. Like a, well, a booty is a, a booty. Kind of a, yeah, yeah. It's a grey area. Well, a booty. Not in the sense that people are sniggering about right now, some people are. Thinking, but, yeah. <laughs> booty, yeah. Well, the booty is actually an interesting one that you bring that up, Sean, because the earliest booty, booty, I presume you mean a booty is kind of a very short boot, yes. rising above the ankle, but not quite a full-blown boot. Hmm. Um, this was uh, part of Scythian culture in, um, I suppose, modern day Siberia and Russia, wow. um, dating to around 2300 BC. We know that shoes and boots were buried with the dead. Um, absolutely, incredibly preserved boot um, that is in St. Petersburg and the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. Um, it's made with red cloth um, it has pyrite crystals, tin, gold foil, glass beads, all secured with animal sinew, um, just to give it that leather okay. effect. Um, but what's really interesting about it is that the soles of the boots are the most decorative part of it. And what archaeologists think was probably happening here is that in Scythian culture, they would gather around a fire on their knees and the people behind you, they only saw the soles of your shoes, huh. not the top of the shoes. Mm. And that's why they were decorative, which is interesting. We don't really think about the design of the bottom of our shoes anymore. I don't even know what mine looked like. Yeah. Uh, but in certain cultures and in certain periods of history, that was the most important part of the boot. Uh, and presumably given that they were buried with these uh, with these booties or boots that uh, they were they were considered a luxury item or, or indeed and yeah. certainly right up to the 16th 15th 16th century uh, you know having boots was a sign of status um, it showed that you had a certain um, income a certain amount of wealth and these were things to be shown off and of course the old ideas of helping people into the afterlife with a grand pair of boots and their best set of clothes. Which you would need, yeah. So th- uh, th- those ancient uh, Scythian women, were they, those boots made from leather or did that come later? Those boots were made for walking. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, they uh, they came uh, later. So that was 2300. The Altamira boots were talking 12,000 to 15,000 BC. Really, really old. Um, things uh, take a turn in... Um, ancient Roman times anyone who's read Asterix will be aware that they go around in sandals the whole time but the sandals they're different depending on your status so for example 
the legionaries, the Roman legionary, wore a sandal boot, which was called uh, a caliga or caligae uh, for plural. And these were uh, a kind of a, a, a sandal that wrapped all the way up quite up towards the knee, um, certainly part of the way up the calf. And they were hobnailed, indeed, so they were very, very strong and flat-footed. Interesting little story, little tangent, Sean, is that the infamous uh, sadist and pervert, um, the third emperor of Rome, Caligula, Mm -hmm. his name is a nickname. I didn't realise that before. That's not his real name. I don't even know what his real name was. But Caligula comes from the word Caliga, which means boot. Caligula means little boot because when he was a child, he wore a Roman legionary uniform. And ah. uh, he was known as, oh, there's Little Boots, Caligula. <laughs> not the most manly, yeah. macho nickname. Is right, it? okay. <laughs> and and, and no, no, somewhat derogatory by, uh, by the sense of it. Though, though, when then did Boots start to have a kind of a military association? Yeah, so we're talking about the Napoleonic Wars. The early part of the 19th century, the European continent was consumed with the wars of Napoleon. And because of that, military fashion really filtered down into the civilian classes. Um, We know that most military men at this point, certainly in the late 18th century, very early um, 19th century, were wearing what were known as Hessian boots. These were a German boot first introduced by the British uh, to the British by their German colleagues when they were fighting with each other in the American War of Independence. This is what uh, the original kind of riding boot looked like or what we might describe as um, what a Wellington boot looks somewhat like today. Um, it was made with a soft calf skin leather and waxed and polished up and all the rest. It had a tassel at the front, mm. which was quite decorative. Um, now, this all changed for two reasons. First of all, the Duke of Wellington, of course. Yeah. Um, people will be familiar with this story. But perhaps more importantly, um, the change in men's fashion during the Regency period. At the end of the 18th century, uh, men often wore breeches, which were somewhat baggy at times. Um, anyone who's watched Blackadder season three will remember mm. uh, Prince George mm. and his enormous trousers. And then in the early Regency period, the men's fashion in trousers completely changed. It's quite extraordinary. And it's something that I've come across researching so many topics for this slot is the influence of men's fashion in the Regency period on so many inventions, not excluding the boot. And this is why, because in the Regency period, men started wearing full length trousers, not breeches, yeah, not to the knee, all the way down. And quite tight fitting, like a kind of a 19th century skinny jeans, so to speak. Okay, and you can't get a boot under. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. So, uh, Wellington went to his shoemaker in London on St. James's Street and he asked him to design a new boot. And this boot, it fit more snugly around the new fashion for these full-length trousers, which were all the rage at this time. He also got rid of the tassel uh, because they were too decorative, he decided, for a military man like himself. And he made them more utilitarian in their look. And he started wearing them. What The way I would describe these to you, Sean, is that they really remind me of what a riding boot would look like yeah, today. Not, not a Wellington not boot. Not a Wellington boot, exactly. Yeah. Because Wellington boots are ill 
fitting and yeah. um, you know rubber uh, these were beautifully polished and waxed leather boots and crucially Sean they had a one inch heel that's very very important because Napoleon would have used a horse um, uh, and indeed all cavalrymen would have would have worn these boots and the, the heel allows you to grip the stirrup that's why riding boots to this day still have a heel right of course um, yeah. so that, that makes sense too um, everyone started wearing them because the Duke of Wellington was wearing them. He was the, one of the most famous um, military men in Europe. He conquered Napoleon um, at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815 of course and he was extremely influential. Um, he later became Prime Minister on two different occasions. Mm. So he, this was a man of incredible um, influence over popular culture and people wanted to imitate him so they started wearing his boots. They called him the Wellington Boot. Well, then, then uh, describe for us the journey by which the boot we know today as the Wellington boot or the Welly looks nothing like the Wellington boot you just described. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Sean. It all has to do with the, the I mean, it's just the incredible energy that went into the uh, sourcing of rubber in the mid to late 19th century in places like the Congo and all the rest. Um, uh when the North British Rubber Company was established in Edinburgh, in Scotland, mm. um, they started producing rubber Wellington boots. Now, this was at a time in the 1850s when, um, you know, the patriotic uh, sort of connotations of Wellington were still very strong and they decided to christen their boot the Wellington boot as well to kind of keep ah. that tradition going. Mm. Now, um in World War One, you know, you know, sort of fifty years later, sixty years later, uh, they were commissioned by the British British government to produce one point eight million of their Wellington boots or sets of Wellington boots, pairs of Wellington boots, for the front line uh, in the Western Front. I've talked on a number of occasions on this slot, slot about trench foot. Uh, particularly when we talked about the invention of the sock on stuff that changed the world. Um, trench foot was an affliction which affected men in the, the trenches. Uh, it meant that their feet got wet and then that led to um, infections and, and all the rest, uh, sometimes having their having to have their feet um, amputated and all the rest. Um, Wellington boots, rubber Wellington boots prevented that from happening. After the war... Um, these soldiers and indeed their families, they suddenly realised that these Wellington boots that were used on the Western Front, they're actually a brilliant, brilliant idea. Uh, farmers can use them. Uh, people are out fishing and shooting and hunting. They can use them. Anyone can use these and your feet will not get wet. So they started to get more ill-shaped. They started to get bigger. They got the round nose on them. They weren't hobnailed anymore and all the rest. And that's how the sort of the evolution of what we now understand the Wellington boot to be. But the original Wellington boot that the Duke of Wellington himself, born in Dublin, let's not forget. Yes. That's what his boot was actually quite different to the one that we wear today. And so was there a parallel development, if you like, into the fashion world for a boot that looks more like actually the original Wellington boot rather than the Wellington boot we know? Yeah, for sure. It's interesting, like the history of boots, there's virtually no women involved in it at all. Huh. Equally, when we talked about the history of um, high heeled shoes on this slot, women only came in in the last um, 
100 years or so for the rest of its history it was all men um, women only got involved with this in the late 19th century we know uh, that women often played the role of men in um, uh, in the theatre mm. and they would wear these boots these Wellington boots which were associated with macho culture uh, but they were kind of oh, these these women who played male parts, they were often overly sexualized. There was an association at that time, a very unfair association between prostitution and the theatre. And this sort of, these ideas of the erotica and the boot started to, to develop for women. And that's something that persists in many so in some ways to this day we know that the first fashion designer to jump on these ideas was Yves Saint Laurent who in 1963 produced the world's first fashion boot for women and ah. it is a beauty it's an extraordinary one if I told you that it had been designed yesterday I don't think you would quiz no. me it's really it's, it goes right above the knee this boot it's worth uh, googling it the Yves Saint Laurent boot of 1963 that woman has fair skinny legs though that's the only thing that leaves out of me there uh, from that photograph uh, right okay uh, and that leaves us with FMBs and you can ask your mammy what that means Simon Tierney <laughs> thanks a million for coming in to us Moncrief on News Talk.